This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. For the most part, the problem is not bad people in healthcare. It is that good people are working in a lousy system that needs to be made safer with more checks and balances, communication, empathy, and oversight. Patients, family members, and advocates need to recognize and have the confidence to fight, question everything, and double-check on decisions made by those in charge. When you are sick, you feel like you have lost control. That is why you are the patient. The reality is you do have some control, just as those who advocate for you do. Let them help you. You do not have to go it alone. Valeria interviews Melissa Malamfi. She's the author of Not in Vain, A Promise Kept. Melissa Malamfi is a master's level psychologist, a healthcare expert and advocate, and critically acclaimed author. Beginning her working life at age 14, she did everything from filling grocery bags to playing in an all-girl heavy metal thrash band, to selling lottery tickets. Always busy, ever searching for ways to improve and to help others, she received her master's degree in counseling psychology, working in a psychiatric emergency room, leading various nonprofit events, and running group therapy sessions gave her an insider's view of the healthcare system and the failings and how it was run, not to mention the pay scale, finally turned her to the corporate world. Working as a domestic operations manager for one of Warren Buffett's firms, she spent the next two decades traveling the country in limousines and airplanes, enjoying fine dining and becoming a responsible adult, all of which came to a screeching halt when her mother was diagnosed with cancer, thrusting her back into the world of healthcare on the other side of the equation. Caring for her mother through her terminal illness, Malamfi got an up-close view of the failings and bad practices of the medical system, She saw evil in the neglectful and incompetent people skimming along with the healthcare structure that preferred almost everything over the patients and witnessed heroism in good people trying to do their best to help in a system they knew was hopelessly broken. After her mother's death, Malamfi turned her life's experience as a psychologist, a corporate manager, and survivor of a failed medical system to advocacy arguing in books, articles, and blogs about the sometimes deadly failures of our healthcare systems. She highlights failures, points out successes, and advocates for change in our most critical and critically deficient medical procedures and organizations. Meet Melissa at melissamalamphy.com. Here's the interview with Melissa Malamphy. In your own words, who is Melissa Molanfi? I am a daughter, a sister, a mother, and an ally. I would also say that I'm a patient advocate 
I'm a forever student and my passions are my son, my animals, and, you know, as of late is um, trying to help people find their voice in healthcare. When I hear you speak and then you talk about your son and the animals, so I, I think about connection, loving connection, powerful connections. I'm not a mother, but I thought about my dog immediately. Mm. <laughs> it's unconditional love. Right? Oh, yeah. So beautiful. So I have lots of questions for you here, other questions. The first one, the second would be, why do you feel we suffer? What causes human beings to suffer? I think that everybody has their own perspective on the out, their outlook on life. Everybody has different expectations of others and then of themselves. Um, I think that we suffer as a society um, because you know, we may feel that we don't have our sort of slice of the pie and others do, you know, I think that, um, you know, sometimes, you know, if you're talking about current events, you know, technology adds to a lot of suffering, especially with um, teenagers and mental health and, you know, trying to fit in the mainstream media. You know, if you've ever put the news on, no matter what channel it is, it's usually 90% of it is bad news. And I, you know, there's things that some things that we can control and we can control how we respond to them. But there's other things that are beyond our control. Caught my attention for when you said about control, what is in our control and what's not. Do you believe that? Or do you think that most of the, the things that are not under our control are the ones that cause the most suffering? I would absolutely agree. Um, you know, in, in my circumstances, you know, I'll just be completely transparent. When my mom was diagnosed with cancer, when we initially took her to the emergency room, I was playing doctor and I thought, you know, my mom was waiting tables the night before. There was no way that we were going to hear the cancer word. Um, I thought, if anything, it was an obstructed bowel, you know, something like that. You know, we were not prepared to get that diagnosis. And, um, you know, because it was all of the eight months of what happened to her was outside of our control. You know, you feel helpless and, and the patient feels helpless because there's there's not a lot you could do except try your best to support them and their decisions and, you know, make them comfortable and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think things that are outside of our control are the hardest. Yes, it really makes sense to me when looking from that perspective and at the same time, it's something that, um, this is a practice that we talked briefly off record. It's a spiritual practice, kind of surrendering to love and being at peace, especially with the things I can't control. Mm -hmm. That's one of my biggest practices, which is basically surrendering everything. Because if, if we really think about it, we are not in control of pretty much anything. Yep. Right, Melissa? Anything could change. You know, we are talking here now and then, I don't know, I could lose the body, you too. So mm -hmm. many things could happen that we never yep. imagined. So it's one of my, it's almost like life goes is to kind of cultivate inner peace every moment and just mm -hmm. to be at peace with everything that's happening and around me. But of course, and as I said to you also off record, I'd never experienced what you did, uh, losing somebody that I was very attached to. Mm -hmm. So 
I have to ask you this question. <laughs> Just, but I appreciate if you can be open. So mm. do you have any spiritual understandings of life, of yourself? I do. I do meditate. I meditate every night. You know, as far as religion, um, we, my sister and I were not brought up in any kind of strict, you know, go to church every Sunday, CCD, any of that stuff. Yeah. But, you know, we believed in God and, you know, heaven and, and all that kind of stuff. But um, quite frankly, in some cases, I wish that I had more understandings of yeah. these things yeah. because <laughs> I, I think that it would help, you know, navigate, especially when you're navigating through uh, high stress. Right. But, right. you know, I, I definitely have spirituality, um, you know, of, of something better, of something different and hope that, mm. you know, like, you know, both my parents are gone now. So, you know, there's that hope that they're together and yeah. they're happy and they're out of pain. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have some, I, I, I try to, you know, learn about stuff. I read books. Um, you know, again, I meditate. I even have my son meditate, yeah. you know, but, um, that's the most of it. Right. Yeah. Meditation is a wonderful tool, though. It's really an experience. I know it sounds very abstract when somebody talks to us about this. And I remember listening to so many talks and doing so many spiritual retreats and all that in just like an intellectual understanding. And that was mm -hmm. just it. Just, I understand, I understand. But really was not living it. I could never experience that. Right. But then it became an experience uh, over and over again. And that's when everything changed. <laughs> you see life completely different. I do believe in like signs and stuff like that. Like the other day I was looking out my window and I saw two red cardinals fly by, you know, oh, um, yeah. I was driving my son to school today. I saw a turkey, you mm -hmm. know, out on the yeah. road, you know, you know, I, yeah. I definitely believe in signs and stuff like that. Yes. Right. So in those cases, it's beautiful because it's almost like, um, we are seeing more of what is there to see. And that's basically what it is when we get to the point of, um, getting deeper into this spiritual, what we call spirituality, which is really knowing the nature of who we are. And mm -hmm. then we start seeing nature. Wait a minute. We start seeing things that we've never seen before mm -hmm. out of nowhere. It's because we kind of lose this narrow focus on things that we're used to. It's pretty much being programmed to. I, I, I completely agree. Right. Um, we're more open, uh, yeah. spacious. Yep. And, and if, in fact, somebody said to me years ago, you know, you're, you're not going to start to see some of these signs unless you, you know, get rid of your anger. And, and that's exactly what happened is, you know, once I was able to get rid of my anger, you know, things got better for me. Yes, Melissa. And, you know, those expressions, those are feelings and feelings, emotions, as you know, as a psychologist, those are, I have another platform that I talk to you by email, the freedom mm -hmm. to feel. That's a video mm -hmm. platform that I talk to people like yourself. And then it's all about the message is exactly that, just being open to our own feelings. Mm -hmm. If it is anger, hate, whatever it is, you know, sometimes they are charged and very powerful. Mm -hmm. But it's being open to that too. Let them come to you and go, just seeing them passing because that's their job, really. They have to express themselves. So I see emotions almost like entities, almost like, um, yeah, a little piece of existence. They exist too. It's almost like not a human, of course, not in a human mm -hmm. form, but they are forms. Right. So I kind of respect them all and let them just be. But behind all that, if it's getting in the way of a physical, uh, emotional, mental health, then it means that fear is taking over and we are yeah. being driven yeah. by fear and not love. Yeah, I, I definitely allowed 
my feelings to take over both my physical and mental health for many years. Um, and and I, I learned from it. Yeah, that was exactly my case too. And see, and it seems to me like we, at some point, we just get tired of, of those things, you know, of being kind of led to places and situations, uh, yeah. right? And then we're it, just It's like, work. Yeah. It's work to be mad all the time. It, it is. It's, yeah. you know, I've told, you know, my son's a preteen now and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes they have little upsets at school and, you know, I try and teach them to just, you know, let stuff go. It's so much harder to stay angry. Mm, you know, it's, yes. it's almost like work. Yes. <laughs> it's heavy. It is yeah. heavy. And that's what I learned my practice. When they come, I just let them be. I just kind of give them more space and then it becomes lighter. But they're still mm-hmm. here, but it becomes much, much lighter. It seems like that's what they want in a way, space. They just want to be as yeah. well. And sometimes we contract them so much, trying to push them away and escape them that they become actually... That's when you get in trouble. Yes, yes. very yes. uncomfortable. Yep. So talk to me about the main intention of writing your book, Not in Vain, A Promise Kept. Basically, you know, my mom was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in um, 2010. It was actually May 1st, eight-month battle from diagnosis to passing. And unfortunately, the battle, the journey had a lot of medical mistakes. Um, right. While my mom was very sick, and, and I don't know whether she would have survived it or not, a lot of medical mistakes made her suffer more. Right. When she passed away, of course, I was I was very angry. I was uh, taking benzodiazepines. I was about 115 pounds soaking wet, um, yeah. you know, from just anxiety and, and just from eight months of nonstop yeah. going to the hospital and, and doing this and doing that. And, you know, the reason for me writing my book was, as we talked about earlier, you know, the first couple versions were just, were almost unreadable. It was like an angry daughter that just lost their mom. Right. It took me years to be able to put the pen to the page and make something that is both factual, but as well as giving back to the reader of, you know, each chapter ends with, what I learned, what I would do differently, and what I suggest that you do if this happens to you or your family. Because, you know, my goal in writing the book, you know, is not to become rich or make money on on selling books. Is It is 100% to, um, and that's what I've done since then, is to try and just help people understand how healthcare works and also understand how they can advocate for themselves or others and, um, to reduce the probability of people going through what me and my family went through. So you talk about choices that we have, the rights that we have. There are so many in the book, so many advice, suggestions you give, Mm. so many of them. But I I love open questions because it becomes very clear what the goal, what the purpose is of Mm -hmm. our message in the work we do. So I guess... I would ask you something else uh, that related to that. And then I have all the, the notes here that I'll go through them too. But regarding suffering, the suffering, which I call unnecessary suffering that yeah. your mother went through. Right. You clearly saw that the system, the healthcare, the medical system, they were making one mistake after another. Right. What do you attribute that to, those mistakes? You know, it's tough to say um, because, you know, after just going through what I went through with my dad at the end of 2022, yeah. you know, I would have thought things have gotten better. And, right. 
you know, I look at healthcare as both art and science, um, and and also keeping in mind that the people that are treating you are also human beings, and human beings make mm. mistakes. So, you know, as far as the some of the things that happened, you know, some of them were just, you know, an, an oops, and and you know. Oopses happen. We all do it. It's just part of life. We're all human. We all make mistakes. But in my mom's case, some of the oopses were so bad that it led to suffering that was unnecessary and, and, and quite frankly, almost killed her. She was poisoned with chemotherapy. And, um, you know, what do I attribute that to? I, I attribute it to just how our healthcare is in the U.S. I attribute it to high patient loads for doctors, you know, people making mistakes, you know, nurses, if you're an inpatient, they come to your room maybe once an hour for maybe five minutes. There's just so many things that could go wrong when you're in that kind of setting. And especially if you're an inpatient, you know, as far as now with mistakes, you know, in a, in a post COVID world, you know, where most of our hospital settings are understaffed, you know, the nurses uh, who I, think are the connective tissue without nurses, hospitals don't work. Right. You know, they're burnt out, they're tired. Right. Many have PTSD from COVID and because they had to be the connective tissue of dying loved ones and right. their families, which is not what they signed up to. Right. You know, some of them are working three shifts in a row. And, right. you know, under those kind of pressures, mistakes are going to happen, but that doesn't make them okay. You know, it's sort of like an environment that no matter what mistakes are going to happen, but it's the severity of the mistake that mm. needs to be analyzed and accountability, in my opinion, needs to be had. Mm. Of course, it seems like the whole system needs to be revised. Yeah. It needs to be remodeled. When I hear you in the messages in your book, um, the things that you have learned, and I went through the notes, there's so many things that caught my attention. But hearing you, you speak now as well, what comes to me when you say accountability, you see all these the issues we have in, in society, I mean, so, pretty much all of them, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be non-existent if we took accountability for our own mm-hmm. health and our own happiness yep. as well as individuals. Mm-hmm. I think we give too much our own power to, yeah. right? Yeah, we mean- just eat unhealthily and we just have whatever. And now when I get sick, I'll go to the doctor. Yep. And then we overload the medical system. You're absolutely right. I mean, when I, you know, the last three weeks of 2022, I would walk through the emergency room to get my to my dad's room and it was full. I mean, just not even standing room. And, right. you know, it's because people are going to ERs to see if they have COVID or not, instead of going to like an urgent care, a clinic, their general practitioner. And the problem with that is, is that, you know, the heart attack coming in on the ambulance Mm -hmm. is delayed, you know, Ah. so right now things are overburdened. And as, and as far as my mom, you know, I write about in the book, you know, she wasn't a doctor person. She had um, some illnesses as a child and, you know, she had a fear of doctors. So, you know, after she had me, she never went back to a gynecologist and she got Ah. diagnosed when I was 39 years old. So that just was my mom. That's her generation. You know, they're called the silent generation and it's because Mm. they just, they're, they're not doctor people. My father wasn't a doctor people person until he had to be, you know, the other thing with ovarian is there, there's no early detection. So my mom presented 
in the ER with a distended belly, which I didn't see because she wore extra large sweatshirts. Right. Had I seen her, yeah. you know, in a t-shirt, I yeah. would have said, mom, what the heck is going on? Right. But, you know, I, I think she was scared and she didn't want to face it. Well, I do see even the when we treat ourselves in a, let's say, unkind way, by eating mm. the foods we eat, by not sleeping well, by overworking, and whatever, you know, so many things that we do to mistreat ourselves. I see that that fear is very much at the base of that too. We are afraid of so many things. So self-care, self-love, that it really goes back to that, Melissa, every time I hear those things. But I, I have to say that I'm not a doctor person myself as well. Mm. I have to say that here because I'm not. But I do take care of myself really well. I wash yeah. what I eat. I eat twice a day only. I try avoid eating too much mm. for that reason too because I know it can cause a lot of the food. Even if it is healthy, it could cause a lot of problems. Oh, yeah. So I try the water. I'm very mindful with uh, everything I do, the work that I do. That's huge because, you know, I have, um, since I started this journey, since my book was released in 2021, I have befriended, you know, hundreds and thousands of people that with me too stories, um, you know, that my mom had the same experience or my dad or my sister. And there's one gal that I met in Florida who's incredible. She has stage four ovarian. She went to the Mayo Clinic, which you can't really go to a better place for treatment. Mm. And um, she has the type like my mom had, which is a sarcoma, which is a rare type. And she is beating it with diet. Uh, She is starving the cancer. She got rid of any sugar, any carbs. And, Mm. you know, she's, I don't want to jinx her, but she's over a year out and she is cancer free. Mm. She, you know, when you have stage four ovarian, that's, that's equivalent to having pancreatic, you know, she's, she's truly a miracle. And, I've told her, you know, you, you got to share your message because, you know, she's an example of Mm. self-care diet sacrifice and she's doing great. It's amazing. Yes. I'd love to hear that. And with that in mind, are you taking care of yourself too? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I I definitely, I definitely (laughs) do. I mean, I've, I've had my, my issues over the past 10 years, but you know, nothing too crazy. I, I, I don't eat a lot either. Um, I, I'm not a junk food eater. Um, you know, because my mom had four different sarcomas, um, I got a hysterectomy in 2015 because I never wanted to go down the route that she went after I had my son, my miracle son at 39 years old. You know, I, um, I definitely try my best. I wanted to ask you almost immediately when we met today, but then I waited and don't know. I just came to me, ask her now. So let's see questions for you. I made so many notes here. The things you talk about, the dedications. I love the dedication of the book, of course, you say in in loving memory of my mom, Constance E. Burns. And the way you talk about her too. I love the way you talk about her here. You say that she was a giver. My mom was a giver in all ways. She always put everyone before herself. I look back now and I realize that it is part of why she got so sick. Yeah. It's beautiful the way she was. And at the same time, let's say not helpful, right, to herself. So what is your message for us, especially women who give too much and to others and not to ourselves? It's funny that you ask because that is the reason why my title is not in vain a promise kept is, you know, one night my mom and I were 
I was, it was after work, it was about 9.30, and she was in a cardiology unit um, because she had bilateral pulmonary embolisms and DVTs behind her, her knees. That's big words for blood clots. Cancer causes clots. So she was in cardiology. I stopped after work. And um, yeah, to make a long story short, you know, we were there for about an hour and a half. And there were some mistakes that happened that night that I write about in the book. But she said to me, um, you know, she said, Melissa, don't ever be like me. She goes, mm. if you're sick and you know something's wrong, don't wait don't be like me. Don't allow this to happen to you. And then, you know, after some other things happened at one point, the oncologist gynecologist asked if they could use my mother's case for a white paper. And my mother, of course said, yes, you know, if it's going to help people. And, um, you know, she, she told me, you know, you know, tell the world my story to help others. You know, my mom was always that way. I mean, she was 68 years old and, since I was one years old, she was waiting tables at night. And wow. even the night before we went to the emergency room, you know, she was carrying around trays of spaghetti that, you know, that was wow. the type of person that she was with this big 23 centimeter mass in her abdomen. She was still working, you know, so sometimes like my husband will say to me, um, you know, you got to take care of yourself. You have to, um, I'm definitely an empath. And sometimes it's a good thing, but sometimes it's a bad thing because, uh, you know, mm. sometimes I take others' problems on and then it negatively impacts me. So I try to, you know, pick my spaces and pick my spots because, you know, I'm definitely a sponge for things. Um, it's just how I'm wired. The message, it's a powerful one about when we know that we're not feeling well, if there's something that we know we become aware of, we should do something about it. And I wonder why we don't. Because I do also remember, I have to say, I had, I think, a respiratory kind of issue. My mm. breathing wasn't right. It was about some years back. And I never looked, I never went to the doctor or anything for it. Mm. I went to meditation. I would do my spiritual practices, not wishing that God out there would heal me because mm -hmm. I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. But it was just like in trust that whatever was happening, it would take care of itself. It would come and go. Like the mm -hmm. feelings, they would yeah. come and they'll go. And then went away. <laughs> but who knows? What about if it didn't? So now I'm becoming, actually, is a message for me as well. A lot of times I'm not a doctor person and I usually don't rush to the doctor when mm -hmm. I feel something. I just wait to go away. Yeah. So is that really one of the main messages that you have for us, Melissa, because that's the one that's touching me. I know the listeners will probably find uh, other messages. Yeah, I, I would say, I mean, we're all not doctor people, you know, especially today when it, you know, in some cases it takes six months to get to a specialist. But, you know, if something is overt, something is, you know, consistent, you know, perhaps getting worse by the day, you have to just, you know, take the plunge and go. I mean, I'm... I, you know, I, I can say this all day long, but in October of 2020, you know, I wound up almost dying because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have a high pain threshold. I have a million GI issues and, you know, yeah. stomach pain to me is an everyday event. Uh -huh. And, you know, I had stomach pain and, you know, I was just, yeah. Yeah, I just told my husband I was going to go to sleep. It'll be fine in the morning. And, you know, he, he kind of forced me to go to the ER and thank God he did because, I had a GI bleed that um, is, it was a rare thing that happened, but my stomach basically flipped and tore off my spleen. I didn't oh. do anything to do it. It just happened. Yeah. But, 
Had I not gone to the doctor, I wouldn't be speaking to you today. So, Mm. you know, there's things like that, that, you know, you, you kind of get lucky, but then I know other people that, you know, in my opinion, go too much. Right. And, and it's almost like an addiction, Mm. you know, the doctor's got a pill or a treatment or this or that, that, that's going to make you feel better. And, and in some cases it does more harm Mm. than make things better. Yes, that's a very empowering message and true one that's true to me. Yeah, so I do think the same way. So for emergencies, uh, conventional medicine is very helpful, mm-hmm. right? Emergencies. We don't have to go to the doctors for anything that we feel. Like in my case, I just wait to see if it will go away. Right. And sometimes I wait a lot, a month. Um, but I watch. I'm, I'm very much aware of my body. Maybe that's another peace that it's missing with so many of us that we are not aware of our own bodies. We're not listening to it. Yeah. And, and, and some people also avoid too, because, you know, maybe they don't have insurance or maybe they mm. have a high deductible. So, yeah. you know, money comes in as well. I mean, recently, True. I mean, I have great insurance, but recently I was asked um, for an interview and I did work 20 years in the reinsurance industry. So I do understand insurance speak and primary insurance and property and casualty and all that stuff. And, you know, they asked me about, you know, my thoughts on the cost of healthcare and the value of going to doctors. And I'm lucky because my husband has excellent benefits, but not everybody does. So I researched, you know, as if I didn't have benefits, the cost I researched, Mm -hmm. like what what you would call a gold plan versus what you would call um, a bronze plan. And There's so many differences in between and the cost, you know, some people are going to avoid going to an emergency room or going to a GP or a specialist just because they can't afford it. And that's when, you know, things go south as well. I love when you talk about research. So that's another empowering piece, which is always doing our own work before we go to doctors and now so we don't rely on their opinion for everything. Like in the case of chemotherapy, I interviewed Mm -hmm. somebody here, which I think was her mother too, died from that and suffered Mm. so much before. So in her book, she really, in the end, she said that I would never do that again. If I had a choice now, no chemotherapy. Well, that's, they've said sometimes the treatment is worse than the disease. Like in my mom's case, you know, in the book, I write about what they called cleanup chemo for the microscopic after she was had surgery. And, um, you know, it was four days inpatient. And my sister texted me and I was at work and the text said terrible. So, I, you know, I had a great employer. I left work. But before I left, I Googled the medication my mom was on and I printed it, brought it to the hospital, you know, all the side effects. And my mother had every side effect of toxicity except coma and death. And I called the oncologist because it was a holiday weekend. And I said, I need you to get here before it was a Friday, before you leave for the weekend. I think my mom's toxic. And, you know, he came, he took one look at her and said she was fine. And then he looked at me and he told me to stay off the internet. So the next day, we befriended so many nurses there because they were wonderful. And the nurse called me and she said, you know, Missy, you need to get here. This isn't the Connie that I know. And I'm supposed to hang another bag, but I'm not going to hang it till you get here. And and that's what I mean about how important nurses are. And I got there and it, again, it was terrible. And one of his uh, backups came in, the oncologist backups came in 
you know, my father came, my sister was there, you know, again, we had a little bit of white coat syndrome where, you know, whatever they say has to be factual and, you know, they're, they're the experts, which in many cases they are, but in my gut, she was toxic. So to make a long story short, my mother agreed to another round of treatment. After that happened, we couldn't leave. We had to sleep there. And on Monday, things were so bad. The priest came in a couple times. It was terrible what she was going through. And the original doctor that I called on Friday came in and he looked at me and he said, you're right, she's toxic. And, uh, you know, with a few choice words that I won't say on the phone, I looked these up and I'm not a doctor. I just Googled it and I took one look at her and I knew. And with that poisoning, it took two weeks of her life. She doesn't even remember it. It was two weeks of her life that went by where she was like ready to die. Like at least four or five times I called my husband from the city to come up and, you know, she survived it. But after that happened, any positivity, any uh, jump in her step, any thoughts of beating the disease were gone. It was after that I think she gave up. So, you know, research is a good thing. Like, you know, you're never going to take the place of a doctor, but being able to understand things and uh, including the medications that you're on and what they're for and what the possible side effects are, you know, it's, it's no, to me, it's no different than if you're buying a television or a computer, you're going to research what's the best computer to buy with the best processor. Why wouldn't you do that about your body? and your medications, you know? In the book, you mentioned trust your instincts, yeah. trust your intuition. When it, like you knew, you looked at your mother and you knew something was not right. Yeah, I knew. I, I had a gut feeling. And, yeah. you know, even when he told me to stay off the internet, I, I was not happy with that response. But, you know, I just knew. And when the nurse called me the next morning, it was, you know, it was just, it was just horrible. But you, you have to trust your gut. Your gut's not always going to be right. But... A lot of times it is, especially, you know, like another thing with, with healthcare, and this is just the, the reality of it. Like if you see Dr. X every day, he knows you, he knows you when you're happy. He knows your facial expressions. He knows how you act. He knows your personality. You know, when they have a bunch of people that are in a group and they are back up for this doctor, they don't know you. They don't know what you look like when you're healthy, when you're right. happy, when something's wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, that all of that is part of the person that if the patient can't do it, it's up to the family or an advocate to help them understand the big picture mm -hmm. because it's critical. Yes. That's a beautiful point. Yeah. Because of the level of connectivity, of connection, right? Mm -hmm. You're the closest Right. to that person. So, you know, and yeah, that has been lost, right, Melissa? I'm not familiar with the medical system, but it seems like um, now they have different doctors to see you when you go to the oh, hospital yeah. clinic. It, there's this replacement. Yeah, I don't know how that works, but it seems to me like it's uh, it has become a lot more, uh, let's say, watered down the whole. Oh, God, yeah. My own, I, I have a physician I've seen for over 20 years and, um, you know, he told me a couple months ago, he's like, Missy, he goes, I have to see a patient every 10 minutes. He goes, I don't get to know their name. I don't mm. know their background. It, it's kind of like a, a revolving door. And the doctors are aware of it, but, you know, they have numbers that they have to hit from their bosses. So it's just a system that is just in a lot of trouble today. And the pandemic has just you know, I don't, I think the pandemic didn't cause this stuff, but it definitely made things worse. 
Yes, it amplified a problem exactly. that was already there, right? Right, exactly. Which fundamentally, from my perspective, is that lack of um, self-care, self-love, self-awareness. Yep. We're just giving a power away. And yes. then we are relying on everything else but our own selves, our own mm-hmm. inner wisdom. That's why I love when you say that in the book about trusting your instincts, your own intuition. That is crucial. But then in this case, you, you had, let's say, resistance from the system as well. So you trust mm-hmm. your intuition, you know it's right, but then you have this wall in front of you mm-hmm. of professions saying that you're not right. Right. They have to do it their way. Right. Kind of stay in your lane. You know, that was pretty much what I was told. Yeah. So that's a tough one. And I, I have been there one time with a friend of mine who had issues, medical issues. I had to go with him and I knew because I'm very intuitive, I knew what was wrong with him. Yeah, because I knew I knew him more than the doctor. But then they would push me away every time. Like right. uh, they would just brush it off and you don't know anything. Right. And I felt that with my husband's father, too, in New York, when he passed away, he stayed in mm-hmm. the hospital for a while. And I, I remember feeling very disempowered there. Oh, Although yeah. Although I was very empowered in my own house, in my own body, my own spirit. But then when I, I just walked through that door, there's something about hospitals that automatically makes you feel so small. Yeah. Small and helpless, you know? Yes. Right. And that might be this controlling factor because they are trying to control so much that it becomes this very contracted and comfortable energy in there. I have to say energy because it's a feeling for me when I walk mm-hmm. into places. And almost like you can't really say much. You have no say. Now you are, yeah, help, you feel helpless, right? That's mm-hmm. how I felt right. with my husband's father. And then his family, and I saw that everybody felt the same way. They're just kind of looking at the doctors for everything. He died in the hospital, which mm-hmm. I would not let that happen if it was yeah. my father. I would bring him home and do the whole, you know, right. the last days. He should, I mean, I really believe that. We need to honor more the human life in a yep. sense of living with love and self-love and self-care. And then in the end, also have this beautiful celebration in a way of transition. Oh, okay, mm. it's time to move on. Who knows where, but right. it's interesting, the whole experience. We should honor that. That's how I feel. So, yeah. But then they were advised not to. He had to be in the hospital, and then the family, they just accepted everything. Yeah, see, that that's that. my dad, when, you know, he had, we tried to engage, well, we did engage hospice and palliative care um, yeah. four days before he passed. And um, the unfortunate thing is that, although we told them what his desires were and wants were to, to go at home, they would not let us. They didn't have the staff. They didn't have the coordination. You know, all that stuff didn't work out. I mean, we even had a ride. He was a volunteer fireman for 50 years. So they even offered to pick him up in the ambulance, but it, it just didn't work out. How interesting. So that's the sense of control again. It goes back to control. Yeah. There's so much of that happening there. I really wish for this to, and maybe that's why I do what I do. Like I listen to so many, I do a lot of sharing, promoting of these messages because Mm. it's coming from a place of freedom, of individual personal empowerment that, of course, in the end will expand to universal power because Mm -hmm. then we just share the beautiful essence of who we are, in a sense of everything that we practice, we just kind of expand that to the outside. So I really believe that. Uh, I know we are all connected, but 
there is something about becoming independent in a sense of uh, knowing our individuality, knowing what we have to do for ourselves, that it's extremely, it's crucial for happiness and inner peace. But it's something that's still to be learned, I guess, Melissa. Yeah. We're a long ways away here. Yeah. So let's see, we're almost at the end with the interview and I have so many notes here that I didn't mention. Uh, the things to learn, the lessons that you have learned, there's so many things that you mentioned. You mentioned trust, but you mm-hmm. say verify. Yes. Trust, but verify. Yep. So don't blindly trust anything when you want. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it comes down to like even, you know, again, I it's the, the closer thing to me is what I went through in December is, you know, you, right, today's day and age, you have patient portals. Everybody's medical records are basically electronic. So you have access to them. Even if you need to ask for help, get access to those records and look at them. You're not going to understand everything they say. You're not going to understand handwritten notes a lot of times. But if, say, for example, you're looking at labs, you can see if I'll make it up, the range is supposed to be between one and 10 and you're at 55. That tells you that something's wrong. You know, as far as trust and, you know, verify, I mean, we had, you know, a lot of situations where, you know, I questioned uh, some of the care that my dad and mom got. And ultimately I was right. And I'm not saying that to brag. I'm saying that because they're understaffed and these things happen. And unfortunately they happen more and more every day. And, you know, the only way that you can help is to empower yourself by, Mm. you know, getting access to these, these records. Yeah. I love the message there again. It goes back to empowerment, self-empowerment, because knowledge does take a lot of the fear too. It makes us feel completely different when we know. Although in your case, even though you had so much knowledge and you trusted your own instinct, your intuition, you still had that wall, but that's a a different problem. You did what you had to do, um, your own work. We did the best we could. Like we really wanted to honor my dad's desires and needs and what he wanted. And I do, in a way, feel like we failed him in that. But I also, you know, my sister and I just, we had lost our power. I mean, I, I, we begged, we pleaded, we, I mean, I literally stalked, you know, the social worker and, and, and the different doctors and, you know, it just didn't work out. I'm I'm not the first or last person that's going to happen to. Unfortunately. Yes. Sadly, right. Sadly. Yep. Thank you so much for your courage, Melissa. I love that, that you made, it's almost like, it actually is not almost like, it is transforming pain into meaning, into purpose. That's what I see and hear in your voice. Yeah. I I mean, the other one thing I wanted to do is, again, because I have a psychology degree, um, you know, in the beginning, I write a letter to my mother and it basically talks about my grief and, and how I handled it. And, you know, in my opinion, I didn't handle it well at all. And I did things that I knew better, but I wanted to be transparent to the reader to say that, you know, even someone with a fancy degree that has treated depressed patients that has worked in a psychiatric emergency room or step down houses can slip up too. And, and that was me, you know, and, and it took, a lot of self-sabotage for me to, you know, say, hey, I can't do this anymore or I'm going to be right there with her. Yes, that's another powerful message about being human, that we are all humans. 
Yeah. Thank you for saying that too, reminding me of that too. I saw that, of course, the very beginning of your book. Mm. And I made too many notes. I think that's why I was all over the place today here. I apologize. That's okay. I went on. That's how my brain works. It's fine. (laughs) Oh, good. (laughs) So there's something else you said, beautifully said. You say, life can change quickly, so try to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. Be grateful for what you have and make memories. That is so true. I love that. Yeah, that is so huge. And, And I... You know, I think about, you know, even anybody, you know, my parents, you know, other people, loved ones, cousins, acquaintances, you know, you name it. Um, Because before December 13th, my life was going pretty well. I I had no issues until, you know, I, I found out my dad's body was filling up with water and his, you know, the pump in his heart was failing. So, I mean, that that's something that you know, while I knew he had that diagnosis for years, he had been compliant on his meds, you know, not drinking alcohol, um, you know, doing everything he's supposed to do for all this time. I mean, the normal diagnosis of congestive heart failure usually get five to 10 years. My dad got 19. So for, again, for that, I'm grateful. Um, but it just shows you how quickly things can change. And, um, you know, to, and that, you know, we don't have endless time. We just don't. Mm, yes. I love the, the gratitude piece in there too, because that can change everything. When we appreciate the things that are here that yeah. are making us feel good and happy. So that can be amplified too by gratitude. There's something else you said that caught my attention. You said it is easier to distract ourselves and stay busy, to block the pain with pills than mm-hmm. to deal with what is killing you inside. Yep. That's exactly what I did. I, when I had a fantastic employer and the entire time my mom was sick, my executive vice president came up to me and said, you know what, Missy, nobody wants to be where you are. If you need to go at any time, go, you need to take off, take off. You need to leave early. We'll sweep up after you. And I was in a management position, so it's not, it wasn't that easy to do, but I had a great employer. Mm, And so after she passed, you know, I was a hot mess and I was offered to take six months uh, mental health leave with pay. But, you know, I felt like because my job was so good to me while she was sick that I kind of owed them, you know, the courtesy and the respect to not take off that six months and, and work because, you know, I was creating more work for others if I was out. And, and that was probably one of the biggest mistakes that I made because, had I taken that time, I probably wouldn't have wound up in such a bad mental health, physical health situation as I did. I should have taken the rope that they gave me, and, and I didn't. And, and it wasn't a pride thing. It was more like I I felt like they had given me enough, but I, I really should have taken them up on that offer. Yeah, that um, has to do with saying no and saying yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we sometimes we have a hard time receiving love, right? Yeah. For me, it has been an experience, a sad one of not accepting love. And then yeah. also having a hard time saying no when I, I feel like saying no. Yeah. So those are lessons that we all need to be reminded of to Melissa. Not just to learn, but we need to be reminded of. Right. Um, you also said, it is a hard lesson to learn that you often do not realize how much you love someone until they are gone. Mm. And then you said, we all handled 
our loss differently. Mm -hmm. I don't believe in the norms of grief. I think we are all managing the best we can holding on to beautiful memories. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to hear your message about on grief. You know, we have the, in in psychology, we learn there's five stages of grief, right? And you're supposed to go through them in a specific order and they have specific attributes and all that kind of stuff. Um, In fact, the DSM-5 just added uh, long-term grief diagnosis uh, in in the, you know, depression category. As far as me, like, you know, I think out of my immediate family, I probably handled it the worst. And to me, there's no textbook on, Mm. on how you handle stuff. Like, you know, I just lost my dad December 30th and I've handled it a thousand times better than I handled my mom. Some of that is growth, getting older and and just understanding that it's a part of life. The other part of it, you know, just to be transparent is I'm still in the anger stage and um, just because of the hospital issues, but, and, and that sort of blocking, I think the reality of it, but it definitely hits me every once in a while, you know? Um, But as far as, you know, the difference between my mom and my dad, it's, it's just night and day. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm just stronger now. And I also, you know, when my mom passed, I had a toddler, you know, now I have a teen, a preteen. So I have to rise for him. I have Mm. to show him that, you know, this is life and this is what happens and this is how you deal with it. And it's okay to cry, but you know, life has to go on and, you know, you, you have to, think of the good memories. You know, my son wanted to go to the hospital to see my dad the last week of his life. And I couldn't let him because it was so bad. And I wanted him to remember how he saw him at home laughing and, you know, looking well. And I didn't want to have to have him have the horrible memories that I have because he's way too young for that. And quite frankly, nobody should see that, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's no fun. And it's, it's memories that burn into your brain that are, are hard to get rid of. That's traumatic, isn't it? It's a, it yeah. becomes a traumatic experience. Yep. Yeah, I never thought I'd be in this this space again. I, I really didn't. Um, but but I am. And and you know what? I, again, I, I don't want to sound like a victim because if, there's plenty of people that I've talked to, again, and even globally, that have been in the same space. It's, you know, and, and the only thing I can do is just to, you know, I blog all the time and I post stuff all the time, you know, give tips, frequently ask questions, all that kind of thing, just to try and help others navigate their way through the healthcare system. Because I don't hate doctors. I don't hate nurses or any of that. I, I just think that, you know, they're as pressed as we are. And, you know, some of their environments are not healthy for them either. And their work-life balances and stuff like that. And, you know, I don't think they go into, nobody goes to school all those years to be a doctor or a nurse, to be a bad at it. You know, when mistakes happen to me, it's system overload. It's C-suite problems and, you know, that, that type of thing. Yes. Right. That's the humanness in you. Yeah. That's being empathetic. That's seeing the other. Right. Although we know that in some cases, unfortunately, sadly, I have to say that we do meet some human beings who have lost touch with um, their own feelings it did take me a lot. Like I actually read a book, uh, written by an oncologist, um, to be able to try and get rid of some of my anger for the one that treated my mom, because, you know, I thought about it and I said, how, you know, imagine the job every day, probably 10 times a day, 
you have to tell another human being that they have a disease that is there's a high probability that they may not survive. And if they survive it, the treatment is going to be very uncomfortable. Imagine having to do that all day, every day. It, it's not an easy job. So yeah. it, it took me years to be able to work through my own feelings to develop that kind of empathy in, in the role. Yes, right. Knowing that the environment can change people, right? Mm -hmm. they, yeah. they might have a good intention, but then they, they impact it in a different way yep. by the environment. So true. Thank you so much again, Melissa, for your, your genuine presence. It's coming from this raw space of feelings of being a human. And this is what is to be human. That's the human life, the human experience that we try so much to suppress and to hide. But here it is. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And I absolutely, I love, love, love a thousand times <laughs> that you have made purpose and meaning out of this. And you're teaching others to, to walk toward knowledge and empowerment mm -hmm. and not feeling disempowered as the system might uh, innocently try to make us feel. And so you, you're building us to become stronger within so we can trust ourselves more through knowledge. That's what's needed the most at this time, I believe. Yeah, I, I agree. Knowledge is definitely power. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are some bad players. There's bad players in every occupation, but yes, the yeah. majority of them are not. It's just they're a product of their environment. Mm, yes, right. Or they're believing Sometimes just believing their superiors, people above them too much. Mm -hmm. They're giving too much of their power, of their own intuition to them too. And sure. that's, yeah, that's something to be reevaluated. But uh, that's the vision that I personally have professionally too, doing what I do, that we can tap into our own power, our own hearts a lot more. So uh, I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, Melissa, would you like to add anything that you left unsaid or read a passage in your book? No, I, I would just say that, um, you know, given what I just went through, um, you know, if you have a loved one that's in the hospital or even yourself, um, you know, don't be afraid to ask the tough questions. Um, don't be afraid that uh, you might make a mistake. Make sure you try and become the best advocate for yourself. And um, it's not easy out there. And, you know, to people that still have parents that are living, maybe the relationship is strained for some reason, definitely try and patch it up because there's going to become a day where they're not going to be around anymore. And then you don't want to live a life of regret. And, um, you know, I, I would just say there's some things in this world that you can control other things that you can't and just, you know, try your best to get good at the things that you can control. Mm, yes. Yes. Beautifully said. Right. What do you love most about the human experience? You know, I, I'm very family orientated. I'm, yes. you know, I'm very loyal. You know, my husband, I believe it or not, I married my husband, my high school sweetheart, We started dating at 15. Yeah. Um, he's a very loyal person. Um, yeah. You know, as, as far as a human experience, you know, just spending time with others, spending time with your family, laughing, mm. you know, <laughs> making memories, um, you know, leaving your comfort zone and, and trying things that you thought you would never do, yeah. you know, all of that. Just, you know, even sometimes, I mean, I used to work in downtown Manhattan, you know, just people watching, yeah. you know, you <laughs> yes, could spend, you, it's, it's just, uh, <laughs> 
you know, that kind of thing. There's yeah. just so many things that we can enjoy. Uh-huh. Yeah, simple things. Right, Melissa? Yeah. Small, simple, simple things. I agree. Beautiful. Thank you so much again for your presence. And before we say goodbye for today, where's the best place to find more information about you and your book? Um, you can go to my website at um, www.melissamalanfi.com. I try and blog at least daily from there. Um, it's also available on Amazon. It's also available at Barnes & Noble, Google Books, Apple, wherever books are sold, you you can basically get it. I might even have a second one in me after this, this past couple months. Yeah, please keep me informed. Yes. And I'll have the link of the Amazon link to your book and the website on this podcast profile. Thank you so much again, Melissa, and we'll talk soon. Bye for Thank now. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Melissa Malamfi and her work, please visit melissamalamfi.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. <laughs>